wanted to jump in uh, right away to the to the series that we've been in called Foundation and uh, talking the last number of weeks about the faith foundation of our own lives, talking about the beginning of the, the church, the early church. Um, we talked a, a lot about what the early church was all about. And uh, we're not, you know, we'll put up a, a thing there, a, a, a little cheat sheet up there for you, but the early church was devoted to some things. So we've been asking this the last little while. What was the church devoted to? They were devoted to a couple of things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, meaning they studied the word alone and they studied it together. They were devoted to prayer. They, they prayed alone, but then they would pray together. And they were devoted to eating together. They were just devoted to community together. That word's koinonia. It was just like this, this knowing of one another, knew their needs, knew their wants, knew their desires, knew their likes, knew, knew their dislikes, knew them uh, well. And it was the idea of continuing in community, uh, that common unity, recognizing that they are better together. And, and I wanted to, um, uh, to um, talk on that thought tonight. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how God uses different things to help build our foundation of faith. We talked in the first week about uh, practical teaching, that, that those two builders, the one who heard the word, and then there was another who also heard the word, but they did something with it. And how God uses that ability um, that when we do something with what we've heard, it actually builds this rock-solid foundation that when storms come, it doesn't matter. Our lives have been founded on that rock. And then we talked last week about personal ministry. And you may remember those questions at the end. What breaks your heart? What do you see that, that bothers you? And then what do you have in your hand? Or we said last week, what's in your lunchbox? What do you have in your hand that you could place in God's hands? Say, God, we're going to do this together. I'll do my part and trust you to do the rest. What, what would happen? And what, where, what have you maybe felt prompted to like step out of a comfort zone? We said that builds your faith. It builds that, that strength on the, um, the inside, that foundation. So I want to look at, want to look at another thing. It's not really a thing, but it's something that God uses to, to, to build those stormproof foundations of faith in our life. So uh, I want to ask you this question. When you think back on your faith journey, when you think back on your story, would it be fair to assume that there's a number of names that would pop up if you told your story? people that were a part of it, people that played a role in, in your faith journey. As we're getting ready for the baptisms on uh, July 4th, I'm working with people, helping them to put their story together. And as, as they talk about their, their journey to faith and journey to their trust in Christ, there's people, there's names, there's people along the way. There's going to be people who are actually baptizing them who played a pivotal role in the reason why they're a follower of Jesus even to this day. And maybe you would have it as you thought about your story, you would hear things like, well, that person came into my life at just the right time. You know, if it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for him or her, I don't know where I'd be right now. Or, you know, yeah, I remember, I remember when they kind of awkwardly invited me out to this thing called starting point, how that started me on a, on a journey. Whatever it may have been, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there were some names and faces that come to mind. And, and that's my question. Who does come to mind when you hear or when you think of your story? So you want to talk about being devoted to community, devoted to being together. You know, we've been designed for community. We believe that God created us in his image and created us uh, wired for relationship. It's a big part of his design for us. It's why we have this built-in desire to find my people. Got to find my people. And you see it everywhere, especially on social media right now. Uh, people gathering around different, different things because there's a God-given desire in us that is meant for a God-given purpose. 
And I think what's happened lately is that we've got this God-given desire that's there, but we don't understand the purpose of it. And so we, we just follow that God-given desire to, to, to find ourselves gathering around causes, gathering around common goals, maybe gathering around nationalities right now because the Euro Cup is on. It's like, go Holland, you know, and uh, boo England or whatever it may, it may be. But this, this, this call to nationality that, you know, we were Canadians up until just two days ago, and now it's like, it's on. For others, gathering around race or gathering around political uh, things. And, and, and we see that this God-designed desire often results in the opposite of God's designed purpose. You know, we've seen, you know, you just look around um, everywhere and even on Facebook, you see the rainbows everywhere right now for the month of June. People gathering around that, that common cause. Uh, on Instagram um, memes or Instagram uh, uh, hashtags, you know, the, the, the black boxes that were around people's um, profiles uh, just a few months ago uh, when it was Black Lives Matter and that was like this cause we were gathered around or, or you know, the vax, you know, I'm vaxxed or not vaxxed and, and these things come up and say, this is what we're gathered around. And, and my question, I guess, for us to, tonight to sort of wrestle with is, what if, what if God's idea was that we were gathered around something a whole lot more meaningful than those things? What if his idea was that we were actually gathered around something much more meaningful than those things? You know, and it's his call and commission to us as Jesus followers was simply this, go and make disciples. Go make disciples. Uh, he's placed each, uh, us in each other's lives to work out that process of discipleship. We talked about that with Ephesians 4, how every part plays a part, and as a result, the whole body grows. He's put, put us in each other's lives. And so to, to tonight, or this today, whenever you're listening, I want to take a couple minutes to look at some of the relationships that that. God puts in our lives to help disciple us or help us make disciples to fulfill that God-given purpose. Tonight's not a how-to guide. It's not one of those things where you say, okay, this is if I do A, B, and C. Because the thing when you're dealing with people and relationships, you can't make them happen. How many young guys out there wish that they could make that girl fall in love with them and then just find out that she marries your best friend, you know? Or you just, you want, you know, you want somebody to be your friend and you try and you try and you try, but you just can't make them. Or, or you wish for your kids that they would choose, you know, the right path and, and you want it for them so badly, but you just can't make them take it. And when you try, it just goes badly. That's why we're saying tonight's not a how-to, but more of a, an opportunity to create community. Tonight, we just simply call it the who's who in the crew around you. How would you answer the question of who's who in the crew around you? And so I want to bring just a, a, a few. There's obviously more than this, but here's a few that I would like to just draw our attention to. Number one would be the bringer. Who's who in the crew around you? Do you have a bringer in your crew? You know, every Jesus follower has one of these people in their faith foundation story. It's that person who was the catalyst for, for helping you to even realize that there was a Jesus or that you needed a savior. It's that one person, the one who brought you to Jesus. I'm reminded in the, in the Bible where Mark actually tells us Peter's account of when four friends had, had their buddy who was lame. And they're like, man, we hear there's this guy named Jesus who's healing people. We got to get our buddy to him. And so he's like, well, I can't walk. And they're like, obviously, we're just going to carry you. And so they grab a corner of his mat, and the four of them take the to stroll down those dusty roads looking for where, where is Jesus? And they see this crowd around this little house, and they, as they gather close to the house, they're like, oh, man, like, he must be in there. And like, hold on, bud, we're, we're going to get you in. We're going to get you in to see Jesus. And, and they get up to the door, and it's like, no, there's no way in through the door. They try the windows, no way in through the windows. Then one of them has that idea. Let's, t- let's try the roof. 
is anybody up there? They look and they're like, nope, nobody's up there. And they, they grab their buddy and they, they haul his cot up onto the roof. And then they just do the unthinkable. They start tearing the roof off someone else's house. And they make a hole big enough that a, that a man's bed could be lowered down. And I don't know where they got ropes or what they did. Maybe they took off some of their shawls or whatever. And they tied it around. They began to lower their friend down into, the, into this room of people. Can you imagine as they're watching this man come down and Jesus is just looking like, hey. And in that room, that man's life is changed forever. Jesus tells him his sins are forgiven and he's able to, to get up and walk. And he goes walking and leaping and praising God as a result. And I wonder if Peter remembers that day for him. What it was like the day that he first met Jesus. You know, he's like, man, I watched what happened to this man when he watched Jesus' life was forever changed. Well, John, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was there when Peter um, was, uh, was called, when Peter first met Jesus. John writes down the account. And here's what he says in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles... Grab them. If, you, you know, if you're at one of our groups, grab your paper, paper Bible, open it up. John chapter 1. It's closer to the back if you're new to all this. When you start seeing red letters, you're there. John chapter 1, verse 40. Here's what it says. that There was a man named Andrew who was Simon Peter's brother. Peter, the guy we're just talking about. He was one of the men who heard what John, another John, John the baptizer, had said uh, about Jesus. And so they followed Jesus. So Andrew, it says, went to find his brother Simon. And he told him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. He's like, man, we met the Messiah. And he felt like, man, other people got to, you know who needs to know about this? Peter needs to know about this. My brother Simon needs to know about this. And so he goes and he brings Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said to him, your name's Simon, son of John. But from now on, we're calling you Cephas. It's like the first day you meet somebody and they give you a new nickname. Like, yeah, I don't know what your parents were thinking, but we're going to call you this instead. And that's where Peter became called, got his name Peter. And when we, we know about Peter, you know, the rock, the, 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 the founder and, and first, you know, leader of the early church, Peter. This is how it happened for him. Not only did his life change, his name change, and, and everything happened in that moment. It goes on to say in verse 43 that the very next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he, he had Andrew and Peter with him. And he found this guy named Philip and he said to him, you know, Philip, come follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, which is the same place where Andrew and Peter were from. Verse 45, so Philip then, being in his hometown, he went to look for Nathanael. And he told Nathanael, he says, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. He's like, man, we, I, I found something so amazing. Jesus, yes, I'm going to follow you, but just give me one second. I got to go get my buddy. He's, he's, he's just got to meet you. And he runs off to get Nathaniel. And when he comes to Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, we found him. We found the one who's been promised. And, and Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Like, no, he's not supposed to come from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. Or maybe he asks it as a question. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He just totally disrespects Jesus' whole heritage. And what's Philip's answer to him? I know you don't understand just yet, Nathaniel, but why don't you just come and see? Why don't you just come with me? Come, come and see for yourself. And that's my question as a Jesus follower. Who's that person who was that come and see person for you? That person who just simply said, 
that, that, that invite to, to come and meet Jesus. I, I remember who it was for me. You know, I was uh, raised in a, in a church going home. Uh, my parents lived out their faith at home, especially after my dad uh, on, on New Year's Eve came to realize that Jesus was real. And it wasn't just about going to church. It was about living life for him and with him every day. And I saw that change in my, in my dad and my parents. They'd take us to church every, every week. And there was this uh, Sunday school teacher named Gerhild Fulson. And some of you know her. Uh, and Gerhild, she stayed late after class one day because there was this little kid who had a whole lot of questions and she answered all my questions and she helped me understand the good news and it's where I first gave my life to Jesus that I didn't fully understand but I wanted to follow him I wanted to accept the forgiveness that he gave me and man I'm grateful think about who brought you are you grateful have you had a chance maybe recently to reach out to them and just say hey you know what thank you thank you for thank you for inviting me thank you for being the bringer you know, the reason that Andrew and Philip and Gerhild could all bring others to Jesus is that they had actually found him for themselves. You, you can't bring people to something that, and, or to someone that you don't know. I, I, I love that thought of finding Jesus. And I know, you know, Delirious wrote this song called I Found Jesus. And the lyrics began to go through my head as I was preparing. And I know there's people like, you didn't find Jesus, he found you. I'm like, it doesn't matter who found who, we found each other. And, and, and he says this, In the lyrics, he says, He lifted me from where I was, sat my feet upon a rock. I was humbled that he even knew about me. Now I've chosen to believe, because I believe that he's chosen me. I was lost, but now I'm found. Hey, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. And I'll live for all my days to raise a banner of truth and light. I'm going to sing about my Savior's love, because the best thing that happened was the day I met you. And they go on to sing, I found Jesus. Have you? Have you? And who was the result of that? Who was the result of that? Because I know for me, whether it was Jesus finding me or me finding him or however that works, it was the best day of my life. It made all the difference in my life and continues to. So here's the question. Do you have a bringer in the crew around you? And the other thought is, what about the flip side of that? What about you? Are you willing to be a bringer in someone else's crew? You know, the people in your life, who do, who's on your heart? They're just, man, they, they just need Christ. They just need Christ. You know, maybe it's friends of yours that are facing storms in their life, storms in their marriage, financially, you know, whatever it may be, fears. Who do you point them to? You know, when, you're, when your buddies at work are talking to you, who, who do you point them to? Maybe like, well, you know, my doctor said this, or, you know, I got a buddy who went through that, or I, I know this website you can go to, or here's a, here's a number for a counselor, or, or do you have it in you just simply say, you know what, I know this may sound weird, but I, I, I think what you need at the very core is to know Jesus. Would it be okay if I pray with you? Yes, doctors, counselors, and all that stuff is good, but I think you need something more. Can we pray together? And some of you are like, I could never do that. But you're learning how to do it in our small groups. You know, we're asking at the end of every service, would you pray out loud with somebody? Why? Because I believe he's going to prompt you in those moments. And you may very well be the bringer in somebody else's life. You can't make someone choose Christ. None of us can. That's not, that's not the idea, but that you could create opportunity for that to happen. How? Simply tell your story. Tell the truth about how you've found Jesus. Tell the truth of what Christ has done in you. Maybe for you, it's invite. Just like, hey, would you come and see? 
Come, come check out our small group. You know, come check out our youth group. Come check out Starting Point whenever it happens. We had a guy in our young men's group. I just love it. He went to this party and he was at the party. He said, man, you guys should come with me on, you know, to, to, to Mark's house. He's got food. I'm like, beauty, right? Like, how do you get young guys anywhere? He's got food. You know, they, they also don't realize we got more than that. But whatever it takes to create opportunity and blessed by that. You know, someday... It'll be about a baptism, and maybe they're mentioning your name as the one who was the bringer in their life. Uh, last week, I was talking with one of the guys from, from our church here, this young guy, and I was asking him about his faith journey, and he looks at me, and he's like, he's like, you were the one who invited me. And I was like, I did? I don't remember this. And he's like, yeah, it was my cousin's funeral, and you asked me to come to youth group or to the movies afterwards or something, and, and that's where it all started for me. I was like, man, like I didn't even remember that moment, but what a moment it was for him. What a moment in his story. And to be honest, there's been times where, you know, if if in his story, he would mention me in my story, I'll mention him because there's been times in my life where I've looked at his walk with Christ and be like, wow, he's gone through some tough stuff. And it's inspiring to watch his faith grow, to watch. And as a result, our faith mutually grows. So that's my question. You got any bringers in the crew around you? You got any bringers in the crew around you? Or are you willing to be a bringer in somebody else's crew? Second one is the yes man. Who you got in the crew around you? The yes man. You know, the yes man, I say this in a good way because a lot of times people think, oh, well, yes man, that's, that's kind of a negative thing. But in a good way, the yes man is the one who's like the encourager. They're like, you know, you're the one who says, hey man, I feel like God's prompting me to like go on a mission trip or I feel like he's calling me to step out of my comfort zone and work with the junior youth. And that person's like the yes man, like I'm with you. What can I do to help encourage you in that? You know, I think God might be saying, I'm with you. Whatever God's putting in your life, I'm behind you. I want to support you in that. Paul, who was a man who wrote most of the New Testament, and it's amazing that we, we have uh, his letters. Paul was not always a Jesus follower. We know that beforehand from, uh, from Luke's account that Paul actually hated, he was the opposite, hated Jesus followers to the point where he, he went out of his way to kill them. You know, it's kind of hard to be a bringer in Paul's life when if you're like, hey, you want to hear about Jesus, and that's it, those are the last words you speak. I almost think that God just had to look down and say, you know what, I'm going to have to reach him myself because there's no other way to get to this guy. And so as Paul's on his way to Damascus, he's on a mission to kill Christians. Jesus meets him on the side of the road, knocks him off his horse. He has this experience with the God of all creation that he cannot deny. And we can't either because it actually changes his whole life direction as a result. And he becomes a follower of the Jesus that he had been persecuting but the problem is most people didn't believe that that was the truth. He gets to Damascus and he's, he wants to join up with all the other Jesus followers. And they're like, they're having none of it. They're like, no, this, this must be a trap or something. We know that because Luke writes it in his travel journal. You can read it in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27 says this. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he was, his name was Saul. Again, all these guys' names change after they meet Jesus. I don't know what mine's going to change to. But, you know, the, Saul, it says when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. But they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he had truly become a believer. Verse 27, it says, Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He's like, this is legit. Guys, I know you guys think this is a trap, but it's not. He's actually been changed. And he says he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Here's, Here's this guy that comes in alongside Saul when he needs it the most. He's that encourager that just gathers along beside him. We know he's an encourager because his real name wasn't Barnabas. 
His real name was Joseph. But his, all of his buddies called him, gave him the nickname Barnabas, which just simply means the son of encouragement. He just encouraged so many Jesus followers in their walk with Christ. They're like, okay, fine. We're just going to call you Mr. Encouragement from here on in. I just thought, what nickname do you think people would give you? You know, when it comes to your contribution to the body of Christ, what would they, what would they, what would they call you? I wonder. Guy sits in the back with his arms crossed. That's the overexpressive worshiper lady. I don't know what they would, but but something. I wonder. I wonder what they would call what they would call me. Maybe you can text me what you think, but be kind. Who are the yes men or the yes women in your life? Who are they? I think of mine. There's a woman named Annette Dross. We have Brenda Dross who comes and speaks here. Her sister-in-law, Annette, way back when I was just a kid in Bible school, I was 16 years old. She pulled me aside one day. She's like, Mark, I just need to tell you this, that God has great plans for your life. And I'm like, I didn't even think living was, you know, worth living at that point. But she just was like, no, you know what? I'm going to encourage you. Keep your eyes on him. He's got something for you. I think about guys like Dan Chapman. I can't, I've tried to find him over the years. But he was a guy who took me under his wing. I think about Wes DeVries from Sweets Corners Church, how, how much of an encouragement he's been in my life throughout the years. I think of the amazing woman that I get to be married to. If there, I tried to look up what daughter of encouragement was. I couldn't find it. But my wife, she is like top, top level encourager. And what a blessing to be, to be able to live life with somebody like that. What is the encouragement, the yes people in your crew. We need those people in our lives. But here's the second thought. Who's, who do you know in your life who needs to be encouraged? Who's on your heart to be an encouragement to, to be a yes man to? And you're like, yeah, well, my life's not really, you know, going that well. I'm the one who needs encouragement. Here's what Paul said when he wrote to the Thessalonians, to the people of Thessalonica. He uh, wrote to them and he said they, they were going through persecution. They were going through great suffering. And he reads, he says this to them, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Man, what a beautiful thought. He said, Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or alive when he returns, we're gonna live with him forever. Man, some beautiful thoughts. And then he says this to them. I know you're going through tough stuff. He says, but verse 11, encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are already doing. He's like, come on, keep on encouraging one another. That means if you're down in the dumps, encourage someone else. It's amazing in how it affects our own being when we'll do something for someone else that we need for ourselves. It's that true thing of you guys are really in this together. So that's the challenge Maybe you're in need of encouragement, but would you look around and see who else may be in need of encouragement around you? Would you be the yes man in their life? So the question is, do you have a yes man in the crew around you? And who do you know that needs someone to be their yes man today? Who's who in the crew around you? Third, the sandpaper. The sandpaper person, you know, um, for those who thought it was sandpiper, it is not. It is the sandpaper. They, these are the people... You know, these are the people who we often don't think of as being part of our faith foundation team. We often look at these people as like the ones that we, you know, they're they're the struggle in our lives. They're the ones that, you know, that that one person who comes to group that we're all like, uh, and don't look at them right now if they're, you know, if you're doing this in a group. But we have those people in our lives. And, you know, the thing is, in our culture, we've kind of been trained that we, we don't have those people in our lives for very long. If you don't like somebody, you just cancel them. You just block them. You just get them out. If, they're dis- if they disagree with you, they, they don't have the, 
They don't get to be in community with you. You know, we're, we're, we're in a culture right now that's hypersensitive to people with different opinions. You have a different opinion, man. It's like it's grounds of friendships being ripped apart. You know, we see disagreement that, le- that usually leads to division. But it shouldn't be that way in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be. You know, we think about these thoughts that in our culture, they'll say that disagreement equals hate. Those two things are on the same level. If you disagree, that's hateful. That's not true. You know, the difference of opinion doesn't equal judging. Difference of opinion doesn't equal unloving, even if our culture says so. You know, even if our culture says that white equals racist, that's not true. That's not true. There's no need for people to be divided over things just because culture says so. See, I think sometimes because we don't like the truth that someone says, we assume that that person is saying it unlovingly or judgmentally. But could it be possible that they're actually the most loving person, the most caring person in the equation? They're just sandpaper in our lives sometimes. You know, disagreement doesn't always have to lead to division. We see that in the life of some of the early Jesus followers. Paul wrote to the Galatians, and I just chuckle when I see this, because he writes in chapter 2, verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul's like, I had to oppose him to his face. He's like, he arrives, and I'm like, man, I stood up to him, because what he did was very wrong. Can you picture Paul and Peter like pillars of the church? Here they, Peter shows up, and Paul's like, this is it. Peter, we got to talk. We have a a face-to-face of this. What you did was not right. Verse 12, it says, When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, who were Jewish, Peter then all of a sudden wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from those people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Verse 13, As a result, other Jewish believers, they followed Peter's hypocrisy because he's a leader. And even Barnabas, there's Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray. You know, Barnabas was the encourager in Paul's life, and and Paul got to be some sandpaper in their lives. You know, he calls out Peter, and he calls out Barnabas on this hypocrisy. It wasn't just calling them out on this difference of opinion. He's like, man, this affects the kingdom in a huge way. This matters. We We have to have this conversation. As much as it doesn't always feel good, this is important in the building of the foundation of faith. So here's my question. Do you have people in your life who love you enough to risk calling you out on your junk? Do you have those people in your life who are willing to risk? They're willing to risk it because they love you enough. If you're watching this in a group, you know, don't nudge or whatever of who that person might be. I came up with a list of names. I thought, you know what? I probably better not say those names uh, on the thing because I don't think anybody wants to be known as the sandpaper. But I just have to say I'm grateful for the sandpaper people in my life. Why? Because if it doesn't divide us, we are much better because of it. Much better. You know, Proverbs 27, verse 6 and verse 17, he, 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 the, the, <laughs> the wisest man of his time, Solomon, writes these words. He's like, faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're better than the kisses of an enemy. If you've got a friend who loves you enough to tell you about the things that they see, the danger in your life, man, that's a friend worth keeping, not one worth blocking. If you've, he says, iron sharpens iron. You know what happens when iron sharpens iron? There's sparks that fly. You know, his friends that might get into those things where sparks fly, he says, iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens the countenance of his friend. He's like, man, it's, sometimes there may be sparks, but that is a good relationship to have in your life. It's making you better. We might not always agree, but we're better together. 
And so I'm grateful for those, you know, even those who have disagreed with me over the last year, uh, some of the conversations we've had as a result uh, and, and relationship being restored, I'm grateful for that because we truly are better together and better in community. So my question is, do you have sandpaper people in your crew? Do you have those people who, um, who can speak into your life? If not, you might have cut out one of the very things that God wanted to use to help build your foundation of faith. If not, you may have cut them out unnecessarily. And just for those, you know, I, I guess that's the flip side. Is there someone in your life that you love enough, that you care enough to be honest with about what they're going through or what you see in their life? And he, this is where I think it it's, takes such uh, an importance in how that happens. As you read through the New Testament, you see, and Jesus often talked about the idea of going face to face. Go to that person. This is not something you put on Facebook. This is not one of those. They can't tell whether you love them enough uh, when you're doing it on, on Facebook or p- posting it as your status. I think you have to ask yourself this question. Do I truly love this person that I'm about to drop a truth bomb on? Do I truly love this person that I'm about to drop a truth bomb on? And you know what? When you go speaking the truth in love for real, you're both better as a result. You're both better for it. And so that's the question. You got some sandpaper in the crew around you? Man, maybe they're the ones who God put in your life to teach you some patience. Maybe it's to teach you how to, to love those who don't think the same way as you. Do you have that sandpaper in your life? And then finally, and there's lots more, but we just have time for four. The mentor. The mentor in your life. The people in your life who are a little bit further ahead on the journey than you. In Acts chapter 18, we see this in verse 24. Meanwhile, there was a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well. He arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus. Here's a guy who's, he's discipling other people. He's teaching them about Jesus, and he did it with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he had only known about John's baptism. So when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, and they explained to him the way of God even more accurately. You see this thing of where, where Apollos is preaching, and, and those who are a little further ahead say, hey, you know what, Apollos, we, we want to explain just a little bit more. We want to disciple you a little bit further in your journey. The people in your life who are showing you God's way of doing life. For instance, God's way of doing marriage. Uh, do you have people in your life who have a godly marriage that you're like, man, can you, can, you, can you disciple us in this? Can you help us see how God can do the same thing in our marriage? What about in parenting or, or in business or in the way you do life? Do you have those people that I guess that you look up to? Paul wrote as an encouragement to the older men and older women, encourage, mentor, train, teach the younger. They need it. We need each other. We Sometimes we become so focused on finding our people, we think they're our age group people. And we think we're going to learn everything from them and think those old people don't know anything. Teenagers, your parents know stuff. And later on down the road, you're going to go and like, oh man, I wish I had known the stuff they know when I was back here. You have that opportunity now, if you're still a teenager, that you might have the chance to say, you know what? Hey, my, God put those people in my life, if they're Jesus followers, for the purpose of discipleship. So question, who do you look up to? Who do you look up to? Maybe you're actually going to have to reach out to somebody who, to, to add them to your crew, to, to add them in that circle of people around you. You might have to ask them. That's how our young adults group started here in our church. One young guy said, hey, I want to do a young men's group, but will you lead it? I'm like, you're going to let me hang out with the young guys? I'm twice their age. But they just said, hey, would you help us in this thing? I'm like, man, what a great, great opportunity. So here's the question. Who, you, who do you look up to? And then the second thought, who's looking up to you right now? Because someone is. Someone always is. 
And we're to be aware of that, that we've got somebody that, that we're looking to to say, hey, would you, would you help me in my journey with Christ? And then always looking back to those others saying, man, who could I help? And, 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 and take by the hand as they are following Christ. It's exactly where Apollos is. Apollos is teaching the, the people about Jesus, and he's also got Priscilla and Aquila who are taking him along. Who is it? And maybe you're like, well, you know, who, who are you helping on their journey for their benefit only? Maybe that's a good way to put it. Who are you helping on their journey for their benefit only? And maybe you're like, well, I don't think I, I, don't think I know enough yet. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm far enough on my journey to teach kids church or to do any of those things. You know, that's a great place to be because you're going to be forced to rely on him for the strength that you need. But we should have both at the same time. Why? Because we're called to be disciples who make disciples, which means I got to be a disciple of Jesus who's helped making other disciples of Jesus. So is there a mentor in the crew around you? Because these are the people. These, these and others are the people that God uses to build our foundation of faith, a foundation that's ready for storms. People that help us understand the word and understand how to do it and hold us accountable to it. Last night before I went to bed, I got a text from Zane and he's like, hey, and he texts me, how's it going with you praying with other people? And I'm like, man, I don't want to answer that right now. But there's somebody who cares enough about me to say, you know what? This is something you mentioned. I just want to check up on you. How are you doing with that? That is what Christ has designed us to be devoted to community. And so I want to finish with this. This past year and a bit has revealed the superficial nature of many relationships. The relationships we've had with one, one another, friendships that were torn apart over differences of opinion and COVID and distance and whatever else. I've seen the relationship with the Lord being shown to be superficial in many people's lives. That, they, that, when, that we couldn't gather in the big gatherings anymore. They just drifted away from faith altogether. It's heartbreaking to me. It really is. And I pray about that and I wonder about that and I wonder, God, how do we live out this mission that you called us to, to make disciples who make disciples? My question for you, how many of you would be honest and admit that last year there were times where you just felt alone? If that's you, then I believe this message is for you, that you probably need to answer that question, who's who in my crew? Do I have this gathering of people around me? Because we can't make that happen. But my challenge tonight is that we would create the opportunities now to build the communities we're going to need later. That we'll build now the relationships in our life that we'll know that these are those people in my life so that later on I'm going to need them. What do you say? Uh, You know, maybe for some, they're like, well, I just love the big gathering and I'll come back then. And others are like, man, I just love the little gathering. I just love the home groups. I'm never coming back. (laughs) Can I tell you, we need both. We truly need both. You know, I think about it in this way. That with the large gatherings, we've been doing large gatherings when permitted. The government or the people who have the say give us permission to do certain things. And I, I would encourage us to gather when we're permitted to do so. But then my second thought is this. There are those who have committed themselves to the, to the discipleship and to the cause and to the gathering of Jesus followers, to the community. They're devoted to community, whether it's permitted or not. Because they understand what Christ has called us to. Can I say this? The first lockdown took us by surprise. The second one was a little bit of surprise. The third one we should have seen coming. And the next one we better be ready for. And you're like, you know, I hear that saying, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you again. Fool me three times, shame on you again. We live 
We live in this perpetual thing. And as a, as a Jesus follower, as a pastor, as a leader, I know that there is something about the devotion to community that is intrinsic in our fulfilling his mission and being the church. And I'm asking you, are you a permitted person or are you a committed person? And my hope would be that you're both, that you're both. Because we're not, we're not married to the method of how we've done church for years and years and years, but we are married to the mission that we will go and make disciples like Jesus called us, however that happens. Whether that's watching on a screen, whether that's gathering together and someone else is speaking, whether that's leading worship in your home, whatever it might look like, that Jesus' followers would say, I got a crew of people around me and I know who's who in that crew and we are connected no matter what happens. Because I'm pretty sure we're gonna need people in our lives to do that. Do you have a crew around you? Because I'm pretty sure we're gonna need to be those people in other people's lives as well. And so how do we do it? Here's two quick thoughts. Number one, right now we're allowed 15%. In this building, we're allowed outdoor gatherings. Get, if, you, if you haven't been connected and you're like, I don't, know, I don't have that community group, Come to those services. The, the come to the ones on Sunday mornings here at 9 and 11. There's a, there's a couple of them. Yeah, um, come and join with other people who are in that same spot and create opportunities for community. You're going to meet other people who are doing the exact same as you and saying, I don't have a crew, but man, I'm here looking for one. And you might just meet the people that change the rest of your life as a result. The, the relationships that you didn't even know about that are going to be the closest people in your life for years and years moving forward. Maybe for you, you're like, you know what? I, I, I'd love to open up my home to be a place where people can gather as committed Jesus followers. Talk to me. I would love to chat more with you about that. But we can't make something happen, but we sure can create opportunity for community. And that's an individual choice for each and every one of us. You need people. We need you. Let's be committed to together because we are better together. Can we pray? Father, thank you for creating the church the design of the gathering of Jesus followers. That when one's weak, the other one's carry. And that they find themselves to be the weak one sometimes and needing to be carried. We have the chance to encourage one another. That we sense your presence in our gatherings together, wherever that may be. Father, I pray for every gathering that's happening right now, all over that are, that are watching this. Lord, I pray your blessing and your manifest presence, your anointing in those places. May they truly experience the beauty and benefit of being together. Lord, I, I pray that you lead us over the next few months. We've given you our lives. Lord, we give you our steps. Would you direct us for our good and ultimately for your glory? Lord, that the lives of those around us that are hurting and looking for hope, <laughs> that we'd be ready to offer it, to tell our story to give you glory. Jesus, thank you for the cross, for what it means for us. Thank you for making it right again when we made it so, so wrong. You deserve our utmost adoration and gratitude. Our world deserves to hear about you, so help us, I pray. I ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we got a few questions before we go. Number one, uh, what jumped out at you from today's talk? Just if uh, hopefully you're in a group. If not, like call somebody if you're watching alone. What jumped out at you? What came to mind? What, like we always say, what made you mad? What made you glad? What made you think? Second, who comes to mind when you think about the bringer, 
the yes man, the sandpaper, and the mentor. Whose faces came to mind when you thought about that? Maybe in your story, it's like, yeah, these are the people. Maybe just as, a, as you're going around the table, just chat about that. And, and who were those people? And how did they affect your life? And then second or third, in what ways have you been one of those people? In what ways can you say, you know what? I was a bringer in this spot. Maybe you brought them to Jesus and they said, no, thanks. But you're still the bringer. Where have you been a yes man? Where you've been encouraging somebody? Where have you been the sandpaper? You're like, oh, it was so hard for me to do, but I just had to tell them the, the truth. Where have you been the mentor? And who are you being the mentor to? Who's looking up to you? And then finally, if you're not connected to a community of Jesus followers that's doing life together, how can you create an opportunity for that community in your life right now? I can tell you, you'll be glad you did you will be glad you did. So until next time, thank you. Uh, We'll see you next week on Father's Day. And uh, man, enjoy this week and be the light that shines for him. You are the only Jesus that our world is gonna see. So let him shine through you. And uh, we'll see you soon. Love you.